Let's see if anybody comes over here. It's been a long time since I've done one of these. I apologize, but I got kicked off of the Twitch page. I have to be re-added, and uh, I wanted to set up my laptop for that because I'm sick of the audio issues happening with my goddamn uh, phone. I'm not going to be getting a new phone anytime soon uh, because it's a hassle. So I'm going to figure out, with the help of our trusted producer, Chris, how to set up a uh, direct thing from my laptop. So until I got that set up, I was going to decide I still wanted to do a chat, and so decided to do it back here on Instagram. I didn't get kicked off. It just, I think what happened is, is I was like trying to get on and someone else from the FYM crew went on and it knocked me off and I have to like do the two factor and Chris, our producer is moving right now and I just don't want to have to deal with it. So instead I figured I would just do good old fashioned Instagram for now, but, uh, we will, we will be back on Twitch soon. I promise. Um, let me say that when it comes to Jizz Lane, uh, I was just on. I was just on Hassan's stream with Grace and Lisa We broke down the whole deal. So if you really want a good Jizz Lane primer and react, uh, and check that out. Uh, because. I didn't have a lot to contribute in terms of the Jeff stuff because my theory of the case meant she was dead. I couldn't imagine a world where Jeff Maxwell is alive and anything I thought I understood about the Epstein case makes sense. So if she's still alive, that means that there is perhaps a factional infighting going on, something like the white hat, black hat, QAnon concept, only the difference is it's all black hats. There's no white hats, there's no good guys. It's just scumbag criminals. Uh, that's all we have. Our awful, awful pieces of shit. Um, and, oh, good lord. Did it happen again? What am I supposed to do? I, I can't. I can't. I, I turned it up. I turned up the volume. I don't know what else to do. How's this? How does this sound? Oh, you guys need to stop doing this because it really throws me off because I can't know how I sound. So, like, you can't just mess with me and think I'm having a good time. You're having a good time. I don't know what I sound like. I don't want to waste it talking in a way that people can't understand because I want these also to go on YouTube, and I can't do any of that if I don't know. And I can't trust that any of you people aren't giving me the business or that you're not audiophiles, which are the weirdest mutants on Earth, and people who make it impossible for anyone to make anything that has sound because they just say, ah, this isn't flack or whatever the hell. Bunch of Neil Youngs. Can I take this out, or does it just immediately ruin it? Because I hate having the headphone in. Is it okay? Is this still okay? Is it okay now? Can you hear me? Because I'd really rather not have the thing in my ear. So, Ghislaine being alive, and in fact, apparently under FBI surveillance for almost a year, 
I mean, I don't know, man. I don't know what the hell I'm supposed to make out of that. Uh, unless she's being protected by some other faction of intelligence or the elite uh, who want to see some some percentage of the Epstein network exposed. Not the whole thing, of course, but some chunk of it. And, and uh, Ghislaine's going to do that. Uh, the fact that she's apparently being... Her case is being prosecuted by the like the public affairs division uh, of the of uh, of the New York uh, Attorney General uh, Justice Department office. That implies that they're going after some public officials. Uh, maybe maybe this is an October surprise to own the Clintons by by Trump and Barr, or maybe it's uh, a counter Trump insurgency within the Justice Department who are pissed about their guy getting fired uh, for no reason, or I guess because he was like looking into prosecuting Giuliani uh, and deciding to mess with Trump. I don't know. I would be surprised if she died, not because obviously like there would be above killing her or like there'd be some worry, oh, this is too far, because we know now there's no too far, just that it would have happened already. That was my assumption. I thought she was dead the second Epstein died, and apparently she's been hanging around in New Hampshire the whole time. I don't know how to process that. So, um, I'm going to have to do a big old big old shrug. Uh, so right now, I'm just going to sit back and see and wait and find out what happens. I'd be very surprised if there was any sort of large-scale investigation. Some sort of... It could be that they brought her out to do the opposite of what I'm saying and brought her out to exonerate people. Like, say, Prince Andrew. Like, maybe this is all a British thing. Maybe they kept her alive in case some part of the Epstein accusations didn't go away so that she could be brought in to exonerate somebody who was under the, under the uh, lamp, like Prince Andrew. Possible? I have no idea. Doing the shrug emoji man about his life. I am shrugging my ass off about Ghislaine. I have no idea. But there certainly is, um, like, there are factions within the ruling elite, always, even within things like the intelligence community. Uh, and some sort of internecine battle always was something that made sense about Epstein, because, I mean, Epstein thought he was going to get away with it until the, the day before, the day he died. Which makes you think that he felt uh, that he was still protected even in prison when of course he wasn't. Who was protecting him? Were they only pretending to protect him? Or were they actually trying to use him for something and then somebody got in there and gave him the old the old uh, fake suicide? I don't, I don't know. I feel like I, I, I know more and feel less confident about things as time goes on. So, But that's all I have to say about Ghislaine for now. I talked a little bit more on the episode we recorded today. Um... But I actually wanted to talk about something else uh, to start with, something that I talked about last time, uh, or I tried to talk about yesterday, but the stupid Twitch stream wouldn't work. Because I did something bad yesterday. I went on Twitter and I engaged, which I actually very rarely do, because it's, that's not where Twitter's for. Twitter's for having fun with your friends. But something just hit me wrong, and I felt the need to engage. And of course... It was a waste of time in the sense that nothing was advanced, no one learned anything, but I do feel like I learned something, or at least I learned, like, I can explain something a little better than I thought beforehand. And what it was was, Chris Hayes tweeted something about how 
My mom never let me watch the Dukes of Hazard because she thought that the flag was racist. Gay mom. And it just hit me wrong. It was not grilled pill to respond, I agree. But I'm not a perfect being. I will fail every day trying to be, uh, you know, a, a, a mature person because none of us are, you know, and, and there are too many, there's so many uh, seductions and I try to compartmentalize, but like I said, I feel like this was instructive anyway, so I look on it as, uh, even though it was a mistake, hey, turn that mistake into a miracle. And obviously, I'm already kind of annoyed. I've been annoyed with Chris Hayes for a long time. Specifically, the way that he spent the early months of Corona just freaking out about Trump's inadequacy of a response while not saying a word about uh, about Joe Biden and the Democratic Party insisting on carrying out uh, primaries that got people killed, definitively. And they didn't say a word about it. Just he, he runs me the wrong way. He's, he's but anyway, that tweet was just so nauseating to me because it. Like, what was the point of it? <coughs> like, what does he really think he's saying there? Other than, my mom is one of the good ones. <coughs> like, is he saying my mom is a good white? Is that what he's saying? So I just asked him, not challenging him, not insulting him. I just said, do you really think that you would be more racist if you'd watched Deuce of Hazard? Growing up in what? He grew up in New York City. He went to a magnet high school with Immortal Technique and Jesus and Marrow. You really think if you'd seen the General Lee 30 minutes a, a week, you'd be more racist? And so I just asked him. He never responded, but instead, G here, everyone's favorite internet pedant, the man, one of the people who have been, one of those people who are trapped in the cave of online discourse. The kind of people who, if you did the, the Plato allegory thing and went up and saw the real light and came in and tried to get him away from the fire, they would punch and kick you because it's to them that's the only world they live in, is the internet. And his hilarious asked question to me was, do you think W.E.B. Du Bois is a lib? And uh, I asked him if he was sm smelling toast. And it was baffling to me, but it started this whole tedious argument that I did not participate in for the most part and ignored. Uh, about the role of cultural reproduction in maintaining an, 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 a, a systemic racial oppression. And Jeet's half of a point was that Marxist tradition, black Marxist tradition has plenty to talk about the way the culture reinforces racism. And it really struck me like how online discourse, maybe all discourse, but certainly the kind I'm familiar with online, really is impossible because I... Of course, no one reasonable, he called me a glib nihilist, that's it. No one reasonable doesn't agree that culture reinforces racial discrimination. Of course it does. Culture is where people live. That's the level that people live at. Of course that doesn't. And so, yeah, things like, you know, the Confederate flag or, or racial tropes or whatever, they reinforce racial ideas that then people act on. That's true. But right now, in this moment, right... All this talk about, like, Dukes of Hazard, yes or no, it's a context of this cultural, uh, this sort of mini-cultural revolution, right, that we're doing right now. Uh, getting rid of episodes that have blackface from old shows, renaming things, pulling down statues. And there is a current of thought that I think is wrong that says that because these things are doing, because these things are happening, because there's... Um, 
because there's this corporate attempt to uh, uh, to com- to nullify and neutralize the protest movement by doing things like, hey, we're taking the name off, and hey, we're getting rid of this episode, and hey, this actor is not gonna, this white actor is not gonna do this black character anymore. That that is proof that the entire movement is some sort of like neoliberal plot. Which I mean, if you unless you want to put George Soros in there, that doesn't make any sense. Uh, because you're ignoring the fact that culture production, the culture that is created by corporations, which is basically all the ones we know, that exists to try to co-opt and neutralize all social movements. That's what they do. This is an attempt. And the fact that they're doing it only means they feel they have to, which is an indication that there is a potential for power, right? That's why there's an attempt to mollify, because there is a potential for power. Well, the question is, how is that potential going to be filled? The corporate answer from above is, what if we get rid of these bad episodes of TV? What if we take our names off this thing? What if we cleanse the cultural palette so you don't see things that remind you of racial discrimination, racial hierarchy? Huh? How about that? And people, individually, the people who are in in line with this protest movement uh, and who do things like support it materially, through money and participation, specifically in protest and continual civil disobedience, uh, what is going to mollify them? What is going to make them say, we've got something? Is it going to be this stuff? Or is it going to be a significant redistribution of wealth that has been unjustly malapportioned towards white people over the history of America and through a disparity that is reproduced by capitalism over time? Which of those are we going to confront? It's going to be very difficult to get to material conditions because we don't have deliberative bodies, we don't have an organization. I mean, I've said this a million times, and it's still true. Something might emerge, but it hasn't yet. That makes it hard to focus on material conditions. It's much easier to just choose to accept or not accept things passively, like the removal of an episode of a television show, or the changing of the name of something. And in my opinion, it is vitally important to resist that, to say that is not going to do it. That is not enough. And anybody who is this moment arguing the trivially true but irrelevant point that, well, you know, cultural stuff does reproduce racism, sure. But we're not talking about what reproduces racism right now. We're talking about what makes it happen, like the actual motivator, the actual thing that generates racial discrimination, generates racial disparity in experience of being an American. And it is the resources. It is the failure to include black people in the 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 the, the, the treasure, the, the, the festival of, of wealth of the post war era. And now because our systems are not redistributive, they're redistributive upward, that has only been reproduced over time. Now, the culture is getting less racist, right, because of, uh, because of the 60s and because of the change in cultural perception, and more important, most importantly, the change of the way that culture is taught to us through things like television and education, specifically college, where post-war, everybody who went to college essentially got a, a social um, etiquette class. That's what, that's what college is really about. 
college, the edu- the introvert, unless it's technical, and there isn't even that much technical stuff in a technical degree, what you're really learning is manners. How to comport yourself among the bourgeois. And that is what gets you into the bourgeois. That little piece of paper says, I am a, someone who has these values. And those values have gone left. Now, the reason for that is because conditions have only gotten worse. Conditions have only gotten worse, and there's a bunch of liberals who tend to have disproportionate control of cultural levers who don't like that fact, and it makes them feel bad. They don't, it makes them sad, but of course they're not going to change anything. They're liberals, right? Liberals mean you can't really change anything. Oh, I'll, I'll, I'll pay a little bit more tax, but I'm not going to rip up the foundations of this like uh, caste system because it's fundamentally capitalism. You would, you would, to, to, to do the kind of redistribution that would be required, it would be just, you would have to abolish the ruling class to redistribute. They don't want that to be done. They are the ruling class. What they want is to feel less bad about how it's still bad to be black in this country. And so they want the culture to be more egalitarian. They want it to be more racial, anti-racist, anti-racist, not even colorblind, anti-racist. But that's, but it has happened, we've gotten less racist while the conditions have only gotten worse. So all these people who say, this isn't nothing, this is a real, this is a real gain, we should really be pursuing this. The culture has gotten so much less racist in the last four years, and yet conditions for blacks in this country have stultified. And in Pat, since the uh, uh, since the 2008 crisis, gotten worse over time. So we know that because what happens is you mow the lawn, right? You get rid of racial symbol, racist symbolism and culture. You reduce racist ideas, and it works too. People are more open-minded in America than they used to be. They are more accepting of other races, genders, and stuff like that. In, in broad opinion polls, broadly, it's true. Uh, but if you don't change the conditions in a country where you think you are participating in a democracy and you're participating in a just rule, in a just order, why is there this disparity still? How do you explain it? And for the ruling class who reproduces this culture, they're never going to be interested in a material explanation because that will undermine their position. It becomes a question then of what's wrong with black people. And liberals can say, oh, there is still material conditions that are different and there is still real, but they don't have a prescription for it, so it's impotent. If you're not a liberal, the answer is obvious. They, they can't do any better. They're inferior. Because why else would they? I live in a just country. I live in a democracy. I live in a country where every government is pursuing what is we broadly consider to be the good. Why would this disparity still exist? And so what you create is this ball of racial, white racial anxiety, frailty, if you will, or fragility, that is expressed through either uh, guilt or hatred, some combination of both. But here's the beauty part. It's a combination of both in everyone. So uh, the most anti-racist white pe- person his ball of guilt is marbled through with hate. And even the most racist black, uh, white person, his, um, his ball of guilt, or his ball of hate is marbled through with guilt too. To some degree, everyone is this. And here's the thing, those are both negative of feelings and emotions. You don't like feeling either of them. Now, Robin Giangelo has this sick, perverted uh, fucking uh, 
uh, pinhead from Hellraiser purification of pain theory that you should be holding anxiety and guilt in your head at all times when you're dealing with a black person, and that that's good, well, you know, for some people like getting their car, bat car batteries attached to their nipples. Most people don't. Most people are going to then avoid subconsciously black people because they don't want to feel uh, guilty. And then the racist who hates more, he doesn't want to interact with black people because it arises his hatred. And that, that phenomenon will exist as long as a disparity in, in material conditions exists. You can mow the lawn, but it'll grow back. But if you abolish the disparity, which is possible, which is honestly, if you socialize an economy the size of America's, is trivially possible, not immediately, but over time, and, and at a rate that would have enough of an obvious... Uh, socially uh, tangible speed that it would facilitate further it would become self uh, self perpetuating over time and that is possible with a socialist uh, approach to government with the abolition of the ruling class the abolition of property uh, as, as it's understood in Marxism the abolition of hoarded wealth the, the social reproduction use value you would not get rid of racism, but you would get rid of racial disparity, the majority of racial disparity. The experience of being black in this country would persist in being uh, less fun, being alienating, more alienating than being white, because there's going to be lingering feelings, because, that, that, because the culture comes afterwards. The culture always comes afterwards. It's the superstructure. So it will take time to, for those thoughts, to, for that to diffuse. But it will. And guess what? All those Confederate flags will come down. All those statues will come down. Because nobody's going to want to keep them up anymore. Or not enough people are. But what Jeet is insisting on, and what Hayes is insisting on, is, no, no. Let's get people used to the idea that this cultural change is sufficient. When we know it isn't. You mow that lawn, and the fucking grass is going to grow again because you haven't done anything about the material disparity. You might make it easier for some small segment of black people to go farther than they would have because maybe, maybe we have increased affirmative action as part of this. Uh, or more, uh, diverse, greater diversity in Hollywood, right? So that means there's a lot of more black people getting, getting high-paid uh, media jobs. That, that, and then that money filters into community, maybe. But this is just around the edges. And so that's why anybody who's making that point right now is doing the work, not only of the ruling class that's trying to co-opt and neutralize this movement, but also all of those class-first, reductionist, stupid Paul people that you all hate, right? The people that the G-hears of the world hate more than anyone, way more than Trump people. The stupid class-first, reductionist sons of bitches. Oh, I hate them so much. Well, guess what? You're doing their work for them by giving them a living example of you settling for cultural change at the expense of momentum towards material change. And you validated their argument. So you're, you're, you're doing the work of all of the malefactors, both in your little hothouse of internet commentary and, and, and thought such that it exists, to the highest levels of, of, of the cultural wing of our ruling capitalist overlords. It is pronounced Du Bois, yes.
So that is, as they say, that on that. And then there was one other thing I wanted to say yesterday that I couldn't, that I wanted to get it out over with here, and that is that I wanted to follow up a little bit on the Demiurge that we talked about uh, the other day, about what the Demiurge is in Gnostic Christianity and how it relates to uh, the material world we live in. I said that the crisis, the, the spiritual crisis that provokes Gnosticism in the, in, the, in the Gnostic is the inability to live as a Christian in the world he finds himself in because of the demiurge shaping it in a way that binds us to conditions, material conditions, that pull us away from God. Mainly greed and pain. Our, our greed and that which puts us over others and dominion over others, and then the pain of being oppressed, both of which are not good for spiritual pursuit. And you have a guy who told everyone, live, as, live in common, and, and, and because what is wealth? It is meaningless. What is physical pleasure? It is meaningless. But physical pleasure and wealth are all this world worships. How, is that, how are you supposed to live in that world? How are you supposed to live in that world? The explanation was an evil demon came in and created this thing and trapped us, and it's our job to fight through. It's a beautiful narrative. It makes us like the adventure hero. We're, we're the fucking guy from Pitfall. Uh, but what I didn't really get into is that... So I, was, I said that that is our condition as humans. Is that we live in a demiurgical reality. We are actually all human beings. And part of the same species being that could and should be at, working as one consciousness. With the same singularity of purpose as an individual consciousness. That is a class and then a species coming into itself. Consciousness of itself. That's the, that should be the goal of all human endeavor. And instead, the world is split into fractious groups that are all delusionally believing that they're at war with each other when they're actually serving the interests of an even smaller group of vampires, of demons, who are draining them of their lifeblood. Well, they struggle through lives of ignorance and pain where they never feel a, the touch of the divine. But the question I, I didn't really answer is, well, what is the demiurge now? I said, we are the ones who created it, but what is the, what is the demiurgical reality? So the spiritual world, the world where we could be operating consciously, uh, is one of material abundance, is the one of an uh, environment that by definition can be lived in a state of homeostatic harmony with any species on it that can persist. And we could. We could be homeostatically enmeshed in... Not in like a stupid... like Not even... Not in a dumb ANCAP way. Or no, not ANCAP. Um, Anarcho-primitivist way. The dumbass anarcho-primitivist argument. That, oh, we just need to get back to the hunter-gatherer thing. No, because... The reason you know that, you know the reason I know that? Because we are here now. And we started there, and we got here, which means it doesn't work. You're basically saying, let's try again. No, no, no. You work through the steps. Like, if we, if we were able to harness technology to bring us in harmony with our fucking natural surroundings... We would be able to live the sort of life that they imagined those, those, those noble savages did... But with uh, clean water, uh, uh, high, uh, low, low, low uh, infant mortality rates, low to non-existent infant mortality rates, uh, 
basically life less terrified and and a life more connected to others. A life more 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 conscious. We can have that. But struggling there is almost impossible because we find ourselves bound in a physical space that's been defined for us. Like this land is here. Like I'm I'm on the western edge of Long Island, right? Uh, that's real land, and like the things that the the, the, the wood that built this house, the bricks that was all part of the land, that was all part of the fora. That's all real, but it's here, like in this expropriated land piece of like Lapana, uh, Lenape, I think, uh, Indian land. Uh, in this building that is owned by a holding company in Florida, in which I rent the the I rent, give them money, give those people money. For the, for the right to live in their house without getting shot, basically. Uh, that is the demiurgical reality. Like, the, the regime of private property and the commodity fetishism that we are locked in. That's as much of a, as a tomb... That's as much of a tomb as the Gnostic concept of our bodies being tombs for our spirit. We are, we are as... Our, our, our collective spirit... Our collective geist, our human uh, consciousness, is, is trapped in in the in the dead flesh of capitalism, as the the godly spirit that the Gnostics imagined was in all humans was trapped in the dead flesh that the demiurge pressed down upon us. And there's another cool uh, concept from Gnosticism that I use, that I think is useful, and that is archons, or archons? I never really know how to pronounce the C-H there. Uh, but archons, I'll go with that, uh, were demonic entities that were essentially the handmaidens, the, the, the minions, the bureaucrats, the mid-level bureaucrats, the paper pushers uh, of the demiurgs, of the, of the head evil demon that did his will and shaped, it kept spirits from from pushing through. Like, we're there basically with whack-a-moles to smack everyone down before they could get to God. That's what they're there for. And they also form together. There's seven of them, I think, and they deform together one big evil demon, so it's like a fucking Voltron. And I feel like that is another concept that has an analog in the material world, the material late capitalist world we find ourselves. And that is uh, that there's some people in this world who have so fully assimilated the values, the, the, the perverse and, and anti-human values that are part and parcel of this demiurgical reality uh, so fully that they are able to intuit its will and do its bidding. And those, of course, are the, the people of power in this world. The, 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 the Bohemian Grove types, the high elites. Like Because of well, they're, they're, the, mostly the, the fact that they're so born so close to power to begin with, that they have access to it at an intimate level. But then also through the, the systematic stripping away through nature and nurture and learned behavior of conscience, of, of basic human uh, love, of the, of, 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 the, of the agape spirit, of the, of the, of the uh, universal loving kindliness that is instinctive among all human beings, severing those in pursuit of a dead, of, of worship of death, of worship of disconnection and extinguishment. And those people are, have the function of demons. They're functionally demons. So that's another thing where um, Alex Jones, not 
totally off the beam. And his concept of the, our rulers as demons is, is poetically, and I, I, I'd say even metaphysically accurate. Like, Trump is a fucking Archon. But I would say that, like, if the Archons, like, if you put on They Live glasses and instead of people you saw demons, like big demons with fucking giant cod pieces and huge wings, but they were bigger, the, like, the higher up they were in the, in the Arconian ranks, Trump wouldn't be that big of a demon compared to the, some of the other people who have held that office and people in power right now. Like, I think Seth Mnuchin's probably a bigger demon than Trump. That is an uh, umbrella. It's not a KKK man. Yucky, yuck, yuck. Yeah, see, I've always been very... Uh, I've always been very conflicted about the usefulness of conspiracy theory and left organizing and left thought because it is instinctively the way people think. It's how you fill in the gaps. It's how you fill in the gaps in, your, in, your, uh, in the... In the information you have, which for all of us is very, very small amount compared to what's actually happening in the world, our ability to orientate ourselves is is uh, facilitated by how we're able to fill in gaps as things occur, create a narrative that makes sense to us, and so we end up throwing shit we hear from the internet, mostly from culture and TV and stuff, and throwing it back out there. And the thing is, because but the, but the funny thing is, is that because the culture. Right is as I have said, comes from the economic base. Right, it's it's not generative; it is generated. Guess what? If you're filling in the gaps of your knowledge with narrative and conspiracy theory, it's going to reflect a lot of true shit. Because culture is reflected truly in our, uh, or, or, or um, like our ideology is truly projected in our culture. It's just reflected. So that all the bad qualities are turned into good qualities. Like, if we contextual, we context, culture contextualizes the reality of our physical horror and reorients it to reflect back to us in reverse, where all the bad stuff that is really felt by us is turned into theoretical, cultural, uh, superstructural good stuff. And then we live at the level of that stuff, to, and that's what we use to make ourselves okay with the bad stuff. To rationalize the bad stuff so that we continue maintaining fidelity to the system. That is how it, made, that's how it does ideological oppression on people. That's how it keeps people pliant. That's how it manufactures consent. It creates a culture where it, ex it acknowledges all the horrors of your life, but it puts them through a, a symbolic narrative lens that flips them and makes the bad things good. But then you're getting it back in the form of conspiracy theory. It's been flipped again. It's reapplied to the real world and it flips back. So there is usefulness to it. The problem is, is that you're not everyone assimilates to culture the same way. And that's the main problem with this mechanistic argument about how, oh, if we reduce this cultural element, like the Confederate flag or non-black judges on law and order it will make people do this you can't predict what people will do with information they get from culture it's different with every person even if it's not a different response the depth of the response is different to everyone it's like a fingerprint it's a cultural fingerprint 
And that is why there's, there's always something stupid about the argument about whether culture makes people do things. In the, in the 80s, it was... A, in, remember, guys, in the 90s? Some of you are too young. But in the 90s, it was about violence. And it was about, does, does consuming violent entertainment make you violent? And the left response was, no. That's silly. That's, that's ridiculous. Now it's, does the culture make you racist? And the left argument is, of course it does. In both cases, the answer to that is yes in the proximate case. Like, John Hinckley Jr. could be said accurately to have shot the, uh, um, uh, to have shot Reagan because he watched Taxi Driver. Like, that is, that is a legible sequence of actions that has a surface plausibility to it. The guy had then no idea who Jodie Foster was until he saw that movie. And seeing her in relationship to the heroism of De Niro makes him snap two and two together. And then that turns into, because of other old information in Taxi Driver, I'm going to shoot the president. Now the thing is, though, from the, that is only describing the mere action, action. That's the mechanism. You can't draw from that, from any specific thing like that, a general theory of what to do, like actually how to practically deal with that fact, because uh, it's too individualized. Like, it's not worth it to ban Taxi Driver to stop someone from shooting the president because he's probably the only guy on earth who would have had that response because he was already set up to snap. The answer to this stuff is that culture gives someone an excuse. It's, it gives them a little final push. But the thing is, you can never know what's going to set it off. It's, un, it's completely unpredictable from one person to another. It's stochastic. And so you can't use blanket condemnations. You can't use big flap, especially ones that seriously undermine free speech and alienate people from the government that you represent. You're trying to have popular support for these measures. And I'm sorry, in America especially, calls for censorship makes some people mad, even if they're not trying to defend racism. Well, that is a social cost. And then you have the social cost of that thing not being able to be uh, artistically pursued, which is a loss for all of us. To stop what? Maybe one or two guys wanting to try to shoot the president. It's not worth it. You have to change the physical conditions. You have to change the material conditions to minimize the number of people who are going to snap. The number of people who are going to do anything from commit a murder to act out on racial beliefs. You want someone who's going to be racist, you want them to have their racism at like a three. You can live in a culture where there's still a lot of racism, but it tops out at a three. That's a better situation objectively than one where it tops out at a five or six, and that's where culture can play a role to bring that number down. And so this whole argument about, oh, these things have negative effects, it's all assumed because you're talking about an individual moment, but you're applying it to an entire group of people, and it can't work. It's too flimsy. That's why you have to always be oriented when it comes to prescriptions to the material, and this is where this is the meaningful distinction I'm talking about. This is the real meaningful distinction I'm talking about. You can say that it is correct, like when Jeet says, cultural racism reinforces material felt racism. You can say that and be correct. But that is at the level of description, describing a situation. It is not prescription saying what to do about it 
But every, all of those distinctions are lost online, and the debate is flattened, and they both become dimensions of the same question, and they're not. They have to be separated. And so my, my mind is, because of that, don't even argue about any of the material. Don't argue about these things. Don't waste breath on either defending or condemning flag cancel culture, statue cancellations, or, uh, or the role of, of, uh, of woke capital in the protest. Don't even argue about it because, I said, as I said the other day, even you arguing about it contributes to the cycle because it gives someone something to argue against. Just focus on the material conditions. And the thing is, everyone's having this fun argument about the descriptive question. And you want to be part of the fun party. You can hear them on the other side of the fence. Your neighbors, they're having a great barbecue over there. You're yelling at each other. They're having the time of their lives, forming friendships and hatreds that are going to last forever. You're over here scribbling away in the blue books, like fucking Marx in the, in the British Museum. And they're over there playing fucking nude softball. I meant volleyball. Both. Whatever. At the same time. So I understand the lure of it, but it just contributes to, the, it, just contributes to it. Grill, as in stay grounded. And, and most of all, take what you know to be true about the material roots of racism and the need to attack it materially if you're going to do anything about it and apply it to your actual life. How about that? And you can say, I don't know how. Well, then wait. Move forward. One foot in front of the other until a, a movement, a, a direction makes sense. But don't panic and try to skip steps by formulating online, by expressing yourself online emotionally and getting your sense of of purpose build there because guess what it will lure you in like Narcissus's reflection if you don't have an answer keep grilling if you don't have an answer keep doing whatever is in your life that you feel good about doing that you feel like you're constructing something and then there will be an intersection with the question of the political and then you can apply that So that is what I say to everybody who's getting all hot and bothered about any of this stuff. Like, if you're protesting, if you're out there, keep doing it. If you're organizing, keep doing it. If you're not yet, then apply the, the, that, that rubric of, like, what satisfies me and what am I good at and actually apply it to the question instead of getting theoretical. Oh, that felt good. It got a lot off my chest there. It was bad because I was all ready yesterday to go and then it was like, oh, darn. <coughs> I don't like coughing on the thing. That's why I take the smaller puffs. I know. I don't like coughing. I'm done for now. <coughs> Grow your own food if you can is good advice for anybody. Becoming self-sufficient in any way you can is probably not a bad idea. And you know what makes it easier to be self-sufficient? Having other people. Cooperating. I know it's hard because we're, literally, we're living through a, 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 a um, pandemic that has ex, ex, uh, made every current of alienation in this culture exa exacerbated. That's a bummer, man. That, that's a real bummer. Ah... Uh.
I know at least I I I I, uh, I remember with Instagram you only get an hour. I don't know how long I've gone. If anybody has a clock, so I know not to get too wound up into like another thing if it's going to cut me off. I prefer on Twitch how uh, you can go as long as you want. What kind of time we got, guys? Anyone? Anyone got time? Ten minutes left, so it's been fifty. Okay, all right. Well, then I'll just uh, maybe ask a couple, answer a couple questions before I log off here. The question of the statues helping moment, helping uh, give people momentum. As I've said, uh, it's only if the momentum is towards something useful. If pushing down a small statue makes you get it in your head that now we can push down a bigger statue and it just becomes a question of bigger symbols, you'll never get anywhere. But that's a question of how individual protest movements that are not organized respond. And that's why it's not a question of description. It's not a prescriptive question for me. I can't, I can't apply a prescriptive lens to it because it's not being organized. I can't contribute to its organization. So I can only describe it and say this is happening and look for something that is descript- that is prescriptive and that can motivate me that's 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 what i have to wait for that's what we all have to wait for uh, i hope aaron rodgers retires as a packer i mean they ruin they he they cost they absolutely cost him at least two super bowls in my opinion that hack fraud uh absolute clown mike mccarthy one of the oh, one of the most dreadful uh, probably my most hated Packer quarter, but quarter a uh, Packer coach of all time. Just an absolute worm man, just a sniveling little turd, risk averse philistine who didn't realize the fucking gift he had in front of him, the glorious arm of this man. God, the game at the Seahawks, the Seahawks uh, playoff game when they fucking punted or f- went for field goals at fourth and. Within, like, I think the 10-yard line, fourth and within the 10-yard line, they went for field goals twice in the opening half, and then they ended up losing by a field goal. That husky look. I don't want to get ableist here, but he just looked like he was a fat middle schooler. He looked like a, hus- a guy, in, a kid in Oshkosh Bagash who, like, wandered away, like like an extra big kid, you know, like it's... Like, he got an early hit of uh, hormones, and it's, like, sixth grade, and he's, like... Like Andy Reid looked in the punch-packing-kick uh, video he did. Just stumbles away from a field trip, wearing his overalls, and just picks up a mic and a clipboard. Ugh. So they wasted years of his prime with, with that oaf, and now it's, like, they've poisoned relations, and he's been fighting them. I could definitely think... I, the thing is, I think, especially if you get one, and this is what happened with Favre, you get towards the end, it's like, give me one more. And they'll do anything to get the one more. That's all they care about. And he, it, it's a question, it's like, honestly, it comes down to growth. Like, if you're a real adult, if you're, if you're an enlightened being, you stop playing football as soon, honestly, as it's financially viable because it's dangerous. But if you do get a spiritual pleasure and it makes you a better person to be a football player, and it's going to be harder to be one without it, and you know that, Play until you reach some sort of equilibrium. These guys getting into their 40s, demanding to keep playing, it's because they're chasing something. They're trying to fill a hole that can't be filled. 
that, like that last one's going to make them feel good for a week, and then they're going to be they're going to have to retire, and then they're not going to know who they are. That's why the guys who walk away from the game are the ones I respect the most. Barry Sanders, without a ring, without even sniffing a ring, thanks to the Packers killing them in basically every playoff game. Uh, pretty hilarious there. Uh, a guy whose career was completely wasted, and uh, but he was like, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm going to move to London to hang out with my daughter. Adore, amazing. Bo Jackson, he was cut down in his prime, but then he didn't like spiral. He just, he's just like, well, that was fun. Now I'm done with it. Now I'm going to make my own arrowheads and bow hunt. Awesome. Ricky Williams, they said weed or football, and he thought about it. And he said weed. I'd rather like open a head shop than get my skull caved in. So it depends on how mature Rogers is. If he walks away, then I will respect him more. I will say that. Uh, and if he feels the need to like try to sign on with like oh god like the uh, trying to think of who they might go for, where where he might like desperately let the Packers or not I'm sorry uh, the Vikings again, the Bears. I don't even know who he could go but go to as like a as, as the quarterback position is actually kind of I don't know. But if he does that, it feels like he has some growing up to do. He has some maturing to do. He has some inward looking to do to realize the limits of pleasure like that. Uh, and that's how you know that Tom Brady is a broken, hollow man. The fact that this guy has seven Super Bowls and he's going to go to Tampa Bay? He has a sickness. He has a sickness of the soul that will carry him to death unless he realizes the hollowness of his pursuit. All right, guys. That's been a good one, I think. Uh, I hope I can get it onto the YouTube page within a few days. So catch you guys on the flappity flop doodle. Go pack.